First Timothy chapter number four and beginning from verse 12. Notice what the Bible says there. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our gracious God, we do come before you this morning. We do want to praise you and thank you for the God that you are and the God that you've always been to us. Good, gracious, holy, righteous, and altogether lovely. We're so thankful for the example that you have been to us. We thank you, Father, for those that you have worked in, through your spirit and by the word of God, uh, to mold them and make them. They've gone before us and see how wonderful uh, work that you do in the lives of people. And Father, we want that same work to be done in us, that we may be an example to others, salt and light. And so we ask and pray this morning that you'd minister to us through your word for your glory and for the sake of the gospel. Father, help me to deliver your word plainly, simply, graciously and boldly uh, to edify your people for your glory, for the sake of the gospel and the cause of Christ. We love you. Father, we know we are loved by you. That's why we're here. And uh, we ask and pray that you will continue to work a work in our hearts and minds that no man can work through your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> Paul writes this letter to Timothy uh, to instruct him on how to serve the Lord in the local church as a leader. In chapter 1, he encourages Timothy to maintain sound teaching by confronting those who were teaching error. And also, he encourages him to uh, defend the faith in his own personal stand for the truth of God's word. In chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives specific instruction to Timothy that relates to godly men and women in the church. And uh, he also uh, encourages them how to pray, if you will, and reveals the headship within the authority in the local church. In chapter 3, the Apostle Paul deals with the qualifications of a pastor and a deacon. As a matter of fact, he holds those two offices in high regard, but puts a high standard in keeping these uh, offices uh, with, with uh, great care. And so he in instructs him to mark out these great standards for men serving in the ministry. In chapter 4, the Apostle Paul addresses apostasy that will take place in the last days or in the latter times. And I believe we're in those times uh, that people are departing from the faith. And uh, he simply uh, encourages him uh, to market out these false doctrines. He calls them doctrines of devils. And Paul takes the time to expose the disposition of these false teachers who are pushing the agenda of Lucifer. But what we also see in chapter number four, that Paul is encouraging Timothy to continue to be a godly example in the midst of marking out error, encouraging God's people and preaching the gospel. Now, Timothy was a timid young man. Uh, we could say he was a young pastor and perhaps timid and fearful to instruct and command those who were significantly older than him. Perhaps this is why Paul was saying in verse 12, let no man despise thy, thy youth. Despise mean, means here to disrespect uh, or to think less of, 
to undermine his youth. Now, when we think about youth, we automatically think of someone that is a teenager. But in this case, it's not necessarily alluding to someone that is a teenager. It is alluding to a man who is young or a young adult. And so his youth could be said from anywhere from uh, perhaps even mid-20s to his later 30s. Timothy wasn't a novice in any way, shape or form. He was a young man who was maturing in the faith under the Apostle Paul and his teaching and no doubt exhibited a teachable spirit under his ministry. And Paul affirms that in chapter number 2. And he acknowledged the fact uh, in uh, his, his growth in, in even chapter 4, in verse 6, he says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Look at this. Nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine. Notice this phrase now, what he says, whereunto thou hast attained. So he's already affirming the fact that Timothy has been growing in the faith, he's been growing in doctrine, he's been growing uh, in the Lord and the things of God, but he wants him to continue to grow. And I don't think anybody this side of heaven would be simply saying that I've arrived and I, I don't need to grow anymore. We all need to grow. Okay, and, we, and there's no doubt about that. So Timothy had already proved himself to be a good servant of the Lord, thus far growing in the faith and developing in his Christian doctrine. <clears throat> and so Paul desired Timothy to continue his growth. A preacher once said, the good minister preaches the word, of, the word that he himself feeds on day by day. It's not enough to preach the word. He must practice also he, sorry, he must also practice it. And that's true. We must practice what we want, preach or what we hear from the preaching of God's word. Verse 12, we see Paul set out specific areas in which Timothy should be a good example in. He says uh, in, in, in word, in conversation, charity, spirit, in faith and in purity. And so Timothy shouldn't or mustn't give anybody any reason for him to undermine his youthfulness and usefulness in his youth in this area. People waiting for young, zealous, perhaps uh, uh, godly men to fail. There are people that, you know, are watching. And so even though he was uh, simply young and perhaps, uh, you know, pressing on and growing, he still had to maintain a godly example before those that he was teaching. And so he mustn't uh, compromise his godly Christian character before those he was leading and teaching. William MacDonald said, This does not mean that Timothy is to put himself on a pedestal or consider himself immune of criticism. So in other words, what he's saying here doesn't mean that Timothy is, got a, is, is perfect or he himself cannot be corrected. But rather he must maintain, he says, rather it means he is to give nobody an occasion to condemn him. He says, being an example to the believers, he is, a, he is to avoid the possibility of justified criticism. Any godly man or woman that falls would admit their failures and get up and get on with, if you will, the work of God. That's, this, this is the way you grow uh, everyone has weaknesses and everyone has strengths. I want to bring that this evening in our uh, New Year's Eve gathering tonight. Uh, 
Uh, everyone has weaknesses and everyone has strengths. But in these six areas that we're going to see in a moment, God wants this man to nurture in the ministry. Oh, and all of us, we're not exempt of being nurtured in these six areas. Because we are two examples in one form or fashion. And that's what I want to speak about, being an, an example. In essence, this, was, this is what Paul was encouraging Timothy. He wanted Timothy to be an example to his fellow believers. He wanted simply his life to, uh, if you will, encourage others. Especially when he's being looked at as a Christian who was teaching the Word of God. I mean, he's quoting the Word of God. Anyone that quotes, quotes the Word of God is an influence. Is, is someone that is an example to others. I mean, we hear it all the time today. People quoting the Word of God, that's authoritative when you do that. There's authority when you quote the Word of God and you're being an example to others. And so uh, people do it all the time. Good reasons and bad reasons. Lucifer did it for a bad reason. False teachers do it for a bad reason. And they know and understand that when they're quoting the Word of God, there's an authority there and you're leading people. And so when a person is thinking uh, or, excuse me, speaking on the things of God or on God's behalf, they must be careful to maintain a character that matches what they speak. Of course, what they speak must be sound, but how they live must complement what they say. It must. Too many people today just speak uh, the oracles and the, and, the, and the word of God, but you look at their life and it doesn't match these six areas. You look at these six areas. They all harmonise together with godly living, holy life and loving life. Someone that is holy, someone that's loving, someone that's like God in these areas. Uh, Peter tells us to add virtue and knowledge and godliness and, and brotherly kindness and charity and patience. and These are similar, if you will. Uh, these things must be had in our life if we are going to be examples to those that we're leading. And so here, Timothy is instructed in these six areas. The first one that is mentioned is in word. This has to do with communication. To be an example in our communication it has to do with the truth that he proclaims. Not only this, it also refers to the, uh, the truth of his word and what he says and the promises that he makes. He must be re reliable, filled with integrity. This also covers communication that's not corrupt. God doesn't want any of his servants or those that are Christians to have corrupt communication in any form or fashion, foolish talking or jesting. So his word, his communication must be simply an example to others. And what you say, how you speak impacts others. It does. And we're going to see, again, we're going to see that word example closely later on. But the second one is in, in conversation. This has to do not only with his communication, but his conduct, his manner of life, if you will, the way he lives, overall lifestyle. Again, he must practice what he preaches. The life he lives must be a light and a salt to the glory of God, that it actually uh, reflects who he preaches about and who he follows. Well, to be a light and salt to others. He must not give any occasion for the enemy to blaspheme the word of God that he teaches by the life that he lives. And people can do that. There are people that 
I see out there in the world that say that they're Christians, they're better off saying that they're not a Christian. Because you're doing more harm to the Christian faith than good. That's, that's what we see people out there today saying, I'm a Christian, but they're not living like Christians. And that's here, Paul saying, hey, Timothy, you better live like a Christian in conversation, your manner of life ought to reflect who you say you are, a Christian, and what you preach in charity. This has to do not only with his communication and his conduct, but his compassion. It has to do with being graceful or grace-filled, merciful, loving, kind. I mean, all these could be just separate messages in themselves. But the whole thrust of this uh, sermon here today is to remind us that we are examples and we ought to be examples by the life that we live, not only what we say. We ought to. Being loving and kind and merciful is, a greatest, is one of the greatest traits of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, said it very clearly to his disciples that all men will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. And you look at people in the way they supposedly should love their brethren. You think, hey, that's not Christ. Christ didn't love like that. That's harsh, merciless. That's, that's, there's no forbearing in that. And so you look at that and you see there's something wrong with, the, with, with that charity. There's no charity there. As a matter of fact, it's all, you know, this... Uh, we stand on truth on the, on the expense of charity. And none of, none of it should be on the expense of each other. By the way, you, you stand for what you believe in and you preach truths of God's word. But on this side of things, there ought to be a Christ-like disposition of the, the way we treat people. You know, Jesus never treated people like dogs. Did you know that? He was bold, but he was never treating any, any people like dogs. You see, you trace his life and you see. And you see that the, the charity and the compassion and the mercy that our Saviour had to all men. To all men. Never, never in the expense of truth, by the way. A disciple who has learnt to love like his Lord to, is, is what God wants. He, he wants us to love like our Master loved. Sometimes we think, oh, if we're going to love like our master loved, that means we're, contra we're compromising. No. You don't have to compromise truth in order to love people. And you can love people without compromising truth. You can do it. Absolutely. It can be done with God's help and growing in the wisdom of God's word and tracing the life of Christ and seeing and imitating, if you will, his life. And you see it very clearly. This no greater love Christianity that Jesus depicts, not only by his Sermon on the Mount, but by his life. Jesus said there's no greater love than one to lay down his life. Willing to live and die for the cause of Christ is to live for others and willing to lay down your life for others. Making yourself of no reputation. Living in a, in a way that demonstrates unconditional love. And then he says in spirit, not only this has to do with our uh, communication and conduct and compassion, but this has to do with our control. 
This has to do with our attitude. He must maintain an excellent spirit, filled with passion for the things of God. He ought not to have a mean-spirited demeanor, on edge, frustrated, a spirit that is unruly. No, it's controlled. Adam Clark says, In the manner and disposition in which thou doest all things, how often is a holy or charitable work done in an unholy, uncharitable and pevish spirit? To the doer, such work is unfruitful. And so, you know, doing the work of God in an unholy, ungracious manner is unfruitful. There ought to be a controlled spirit. And we see that we can only have a controlled spirit when we're controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then he talks about faith. Now we come to his commitment. This has to do with his faith and faithfulness toward the Lord and his God-given calling. A man of faith is one who believes what he preaches and, and trusts the one who, is, uh, who he, he, he's preaching for. It, it's a man of faith who believes what God says and trusts the one that uh, simply uh, tells him to go preach the very things that he wants him to preach. He believes the word of God and he believes God. It's his faith. As a matter of fact, that's what makes that person faithful and faith-filled. When he believes God's word and he believes God. You know, a man of God in the ministry cannot doubt God or his word. I mean, you see what takes place when you're doubting the things of God. Uh, crisis, things that happen. Why do bad things happen to good people or godly people? Uh, a cause for doubt, if you will, or you know, God's plan and so forth. No, uh, Timothy needs to be simply an example in faith that no matter what happens to me, when it happens to me, I will always worship God. I will always love God. I will always preach the truth of God's word, no matter what takes place in my life. That's what Job did. There's no doubt Job was an example of faith and patience. We see that. And so Timothy ought to be an example in that. In other words, he must have complete confidence in the Lord, unshakable faith. If you're going to be preaching the word of God, you must. You must. And we're not talking about, you know, speaking in a positive, uh, you know, sense where it's everything's cliche and uses, using verses without heart, you know, all things work together for good to them that love God. Not just quoting that verse, but that life is really living it in the time of crisis. They're living it. They're living out that verse. You know, you, know how they, you know how they live out that verse? When they know and understand, no matter what happens, I know I love God. And God's going to use this for my good and his glory. Yeah. A personal relationship with God takes faith. And faith believes God and that he's good. And it's a reflection of my relationship with him. Taste and see that the Lord is good and the Lord is gracious. And that grace, that love impacts my life to live and to believe uh, the word of God that I preach and also impacts the way I live. And then he says impurity. It has to do with our consecration before the Lord. It has to do with striving to live a holy life, free from youth, youthful uh, lust. You know... It, Timothy, you've got to be simply, 
you know, turning your back on those things that corrupt the eye gate and the soul. Those things out in the world. Imagine Timothy, uh, he perhaps wasn't living in the world that we live in today. One click, you get a, a filthy thing coming up on your phone or on the internet. As a matter of fact, you walk on the street, everywhere you go, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah now. And what they're doing now is not only out there in the world, but they're bringing Sodom and Gomorrah in the church. The church is becoming unholy. The church is becoming more like the world. Imagine being in the church that you couldn't tell the difference between, you know, the harlot that lives in the world and, 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 and the woman that says that she's godly, but you can't tell the difference because the example, you cannot see it. it they look the same. Only one, only, the only one difference is that one sings hymns and the other one doesn't. But their character's the same. Imagine having those kind of people uh, creeping into the church, playing church, living a double life. The one out on the street has more hope to know the Lord than the one that's in the church playing church. But this is what the man of God is being simply uh, the leader being confronted with. And he's saying, you know what, Timothy, you need to be pure. You ought to, you ought to shake that kind of manipulation and flattery and uh, those different things that w women use to try to lure you uh, away. You need to not be simple in this area. You need to be pure. And put on your Joseph running shoes and flee, if you will, when Potiphar's wife comes and tries to hit on you. Flee, run, head for the hills. Oh, if I do that, then I'll be put in prison. I'd rather be in prison in the will of God than to be out of the will of God by taking the bait. Amen? Be pure in this area. As a matter of fact, it will disqual disqualify any man of God in the ministry. If a man of God, if a preacher, any servant of God is addicted to pornography, he's disqualified. Amen. I don't care who he is or how well he preaches or how long he's been in the ministry. If you're addicted to pornography, you are disqualified, my friend. Because that's not characterized by a holy man of God. Look at chapter number three and you'll see what kind of people that God wants in the ministry. So freedom from immorality, fornication, any kind of uh, sexual immorality, even in his thought life he should be pure. Warren Weasby says Ephesus was a central for sexual impurity and the young man Timothy was faced with temptation. He must have chaste relationship in the, uh, uh, to, toward the woman in the church and keep himself pure and, and in mind, heart and body. In chapter number 5 verse 2, Paul says to Timothy how he ought to act with the uh, younger sisters in the Lord in the church. He says, uh, the younger as sisters with all what? Purity. You teach them. Uh, you, 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 you entreat them with all purity and holiness. You don't flirt with them. Don't flirt with them. You treat them like a sister in the Lord. Amen? With all purity. Now the word example in verse 12 means to be a good model, means to be a good figure, 
or to set a good pattern. That's what it means. It tells us that our example affects others and how uh, we you know, live leaves an impression upon others. Someone put it like this uh, about being an example. A figure formed by a blow or an impression. So the way you live leaves an impression upon others. In other words, we can simply say it, it, it leaves a pattern for people to follow. This is why Paul says to Titus uh, uh, regarding the young men in chapter number 2, verse eight, uh, 6 to 8, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself, or what's that word there? Pattern of good works in, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness in gravity, in sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is on the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you, Titus. Young men, because all, there's always people looking. There are people that are looking to edify you, but there are people that are always looking to destroy you. They want to catch you on every little thing. They want to form contradictions in their own little minds, not taking whole context of what you're trying to say. They're just trying to, they're just trying to destroy you. There are people that are like that. That's why Paul says to Timothy and to the young men in the church, hey, listen, don't give them any excuse to find fault in you. Let your speech have no corruption. Let it be sound. Be sober. We can put it like this, being an example. Not only leaves an impression on others, but you're influencing others. The example we set by the life that we live influences others and in one sense everyone is an influence on someone everybody from little children teens youth old men uh, old women and the question is this morning and this is the challenge what kind of influence do you want to be I mean a saved godly woman who loves the Lord has the ability to influence and impact her unsaved husband. Well, that's what at least 1 Peter chapter number 3 tells us. 1 Peter chapter number 3 verse 1 to 2. Likewise ye wives, be in subjection to your own husband that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by how? By the conversation of who? The wife. And so what Peter's simply saying is that you better, uh, you know, live as a good godly wife by submitting to your unsaved husband who is without the word. You know why? You, you live like a godly woman. You obey God and he wants you to submit to your husband. That will influence him. Your life will influence him. I mean, come on. I mean, let's, let's, let, let's get real. You can say that you're a godly woman and a godly wife, but just saying it is not going to influence him what will influence him when you live out what you say i love the lord i love his word i worship god i follow him and it's going to influence him by the life that you live he's got to see it he's got to see ever since that woman became a christian i could not believe the way she respects me as her husband wow she's different and that lifestyle as a Christian influences the husband. That's what it says here. 
that he may be won by the conversation of the wife while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. So they're beholding the wife and seeing if her uh, life matches her, you know, speech. She a true Christian? Is she a holy, godly Christian? I mean, think about the Proverb 31 woman. I mean, the Proverb, I mean, her husband was known in the gates. Now, he perhaps also would have had a godly demeanor. There's no doubt about that. There's nothing in there that tells us that he wasn't godly. But I believe by looking at the Proverb 31 woman and making that reference would simply convey to me, and again, this is my perception, that when they see this man around the gates, if you will, in Jerusalem, they say, there he is. That's that guy that has a crown for a wife. That's that woman. I mean, unbelievable. He's coming, you know, wherever. He's gathered together among the elders of that, that community and he's joyful. Why? Because of his wife. But he, he, he perhaps can't wait to get back home. And I guarantee you, like the children, he praises her. They're perhaps talking about their wives, how they're disobedient and they don't, they're just always loud mouth and I want to live on the corner on the rooftop, but not him. He's probably thanking God for his wife. So I thank God for my wife. And by the way, she's even packed me my lunch here. You can almost, you know, understand what a godly wife is supposed to be like. Influence, impact, example to the husband, to the kids. They praise her. She's exceptional. Why? By the life that you, you go home and read Proverbs 31. Go read it. But not only the godly wife, but even a godly man, a husband can impact his whole family. A man that loves God, a man that is godly, has the ability to influence and impact the whole family. Turn first to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Have a look at, look at this in, in your Bibles, please. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Look at verse 12. Paul's writing to the Corinthians that were saved, if you will, and and perhaps they were in a relationship that was unequally yoked. In other words, uh, you can have relationships that both of you didn't know the Lord and one of you gets saved. Now, if that person that's unsaved, Paul says, delights to stay with you that now that you're a Christian, don't depart from them or don't put them away. If they desire that this new lifestyle that you have, by the way, we have a new lifestyle in Christ, amen. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. We're supposed to be new creatures, amen. We're supposed to be. And if that person wants to stay and respect your newfound faith, don't put them away. And this is what Paul is uh, simply encouraging these Corinthians. He says in verse 12, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. In other words, this is something that the Lord didn't address. Not to say that Paul's teaching wasn't authoritative it just is something that the lord didn't address in the gospels and it's still inspired and now he gives extra doctrine and teaching on the subject he says if any brother have a wife that believeth not and she be pleased to dwell with him let him not put her away and if the woman which hath a husband that believeth not and and if he be pleased to dwell with her let her not leave him for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else were your children unclean. 
but now are what? Holy. Now, this doesn't mean that my lifestyle as a Christian simply makes that home, uh, you know, regenerated or automatically saved. No, it's obviously talking about the life that he lives that is holy will be simply an umbrella of uh, Christian value and influence and moral conduct and excellence that will impact that house, especially if the wife is going to stay and if the kids are not unruly and run away, the life of that Christian husband will impact them. It's going to bring light to the home. It's going to just simply radiate that house. They're going to see something different about that husband. Same thing with the wife. But he says in verse 15, if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. So in other words, if they want to leave, let them leave. You can't stop them. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God have called us to peace. Look at verse 16. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? So if you get saved as a uh, uh, you know, husband or wife and you want to live like a Christian, don't, let it, don't put them away. Uh, if they want to depart, let them depart. But listen, your life as a Christian can impact their life for their salvation. How do you know it won't? It, it can. It can. That's why I'm not a Calvinist. Because I know that our life can make a difference in the life of others the way we live and pray for them and reach them with the gospel can make a difference. It can. None of us, are, none of us here are deserving of God's grace. None of us here, for one moment, are worthy. But He was long-suffering with us and God caused us to be long-suffering with others. And my life as a Christian can impact those that are around me, especially those that I live with. You say, how? Well, look at the Christian conduct, the teaching of Christ, the Word of God in every situation on how we're supposed to live. Man, if people would just live like Christians, the damage that they can do in the life of others. Man, only if they live like Christ. And if Paul is encouraging Timothy to be a good and godly example to others, that means Timothy has the ability to be a bad influence on others. Is that true? Of course it is. At one point, Peter was a bad influence upon others. And you know who Peter was? He was a pillar apostle with the Paul the apostle. In other words, he was one of the greatest leaders in the apostleship of Christ. And he had great influence. I mean, great influence. When he denied the Lord three times, and he was downhearted, and he went to the Sea of Tiberias, he says, I go fishing, and you look it up. You know what they said? We go with you. Peter had influence. Hey, any outspoken person in leadership has influence upon others. Great influence. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter number 2. I want you to see this influence that Peter had in a bad sense. Because if we have the ability to be a good example to others, we have the ability to be a bad example to others. Do you agree with that? I'm sure you agree with that. 
And so the challenge here this morning is what kind of influence do you want to be? What kind of example do you want to be? Galatians chapter number 2 verse 11. Notice what Paul says here. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision and the other Jews, dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Now what caused Peter to be in a bad example? Because obviously he, was a bad, he wasn't a bad example. Well, first of all, was the fear of the Jews. He says, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Now, Peter was convinced that, you know, by the Lord, that there was liberty to eat freely with a Gentile brother in the Lord. I mean, the Lord made that clear to him. And not only that, but he was used to actually lead a Gentile family to the Lord. And he witnessed the Holy Spirit or the gift of the Holy Spirit given to them. So Peter was already set on the doctrine and he already knew because he was eating with them. But the Bible says here that he saw the Jews that were with James and he was fearful perhaps of what they would think or say so he withdrew himself from them. So fear. What caused Peter to be a bad influence? Showing partiality. In a sense, Peter desired the favour of those circumcision, those Jews, those believers perhaps, because they were with James, somehow they, they went to meet together. Uh, well, we can't tell for sure if they were saved or unsaved, but it seems like they were Jewish brethren that were still being taught. They were all still being taught. I mean, this mystery, this great mystery of Jew and Gentile meeting together, I mean, some of them perhaps were struggling with this. But Peter, who had known, God already made it known to Peter. He was already aware of it. He wasn't ignorant of it. And so he perhaps was trying to show more favour to these Jews that perhaps didn't have the knowledge that Peter had. And he wanted to be pleasing to the Gentiles and pleasing to the Jews. Having this attitude is a respecter of persons. And being a respecter of persons is disrespecting and misleading everyone who is involved, especially the one you are favouring at that point of time. It does no good to anybody. It actually hurts and harms others. You know, those who Peter was favouring doesn't mean that they were doing anything wrong. The problem was with Peter. That's what the problem was. The Gentiles, perhaps, that he was eating with doesn't mean they were doing anything wrong. And, the, and, and those people, perhaps, that he, uh, of the circumcision, doesn't mean they did anything wrong. It was Peter's behaviour that was a bad influence in, in this particular point. And so, the third is not walking in the truth of the word of God. Look at verse 14. But when I saw that, he, that they walked not uprightly, according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all. Now he uses plural here. They walk not uprightly. Who? Well, the other Jews and Barnabas. But who did he approach? The one that influenced them. Listen, the one that impacted them. The one that was a bad example to them. Peter, before he withstood him to the face. He says, if thou being a Jew, listen, living after the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentile to live 
as do the Jews. You, Peter, being a Jew in Christ, don't have to keep the customs and the traditions that you once helped to. So why are you making these Jews live like a Jew? Wow. The, the impact and the influence of someone's behavior and conduct and their actions and the way they withdraw themselves. It's crazy. It impacts. Look, actions speak volumes. Peter's actions spoke volumes. Peter, rejecting and refusing to eat with the Gentiles, gave the impression that a person had to practice Jewish customs to walk as a Christian. And that was the greatest distortion of the gospel truth. Fear and partiality no doubt crippled Peter to violate the truth of God's word and caused him to be a bad example to others, leading many people astray. Say, who did, lead, who did lead astray? The Jewish brethren. He says, and the other Jews, verse 13, dissembled likewise. Who else? Barnabas. A prominent leader. The son of consolation. Listen, the one that was used of God to bring Paul back into the fellowship, if you will, or to add you know, Paul to the fellowship of the believers. This compassionate man, this man that was you know, grace-filled, now he's becoming standoffish to what he knows to be true. I mean, Barnabas was taken first by Peter and those Jewish Christian brethren. He says over here, and the other Jews dissembles likewise with them, the Jews first, in so much Barnabas also was carried away with their what? Peter first. Jew, Christian Jews follow, and here we have Barnabas. Oh, I'll join him. Do you see the influence? By one man, prominent leader, Jew, Christian Jews, and now Barnabas. This is another characteristic of a bad example, is living a double life. They were caught up in his dissimul their dissimulation, their hypocrisy. Living a certain way, with the Gentiles and living a certain way with another group of people who show up, your character changes completely. Living this way and now these people, I live this way or these people come, I live this way. It's a, it's a bad influence. Is that how you live? Your group of, uh, uh, you know, that you're with, do they dictate your life? Do they control you to live a certain way? If Barnabas was influenced, how, how, how many more would have been taken if Paul didn't stand up and speak out? How many more? Was, was Paul influenced? No. It wasn't. It wasn't influenced. As a matter of fact, he withstood Peter publicly. Why? Because it needed public rebuke. He was to be blamed of the damage that he caused in the church of God. This also means if a person has the ability to influence another person for good or bad, then the person has the ability, listen to this, to be influenced. Is that right? You have the ability to be influenced by somebody? Look at Barnabas, he was. 
led astray by someone's fear and partiality, by someone's hypocrisy. Who knows what was taking place in Peter's heart? We're not knocking Peter by what we read, especially with the epistles of Peter. He, he would have come good. He, he would not in any way rejected Paul's rebuke. Knowing Peter, he didn't reject Jesus' rebuke. He came good. Amen. But he, was, but he was the one that influenced and there were people that were influenced. Someone, in one sense or another, is an influence on someone else. However, we are all being influenced by someone. And the question is, who? Who is influencing you? Because you are. I was interviewing a guy on the street the other day and I said, you know, do you follow Lucifer? He goes, I don't follow anybody. You do. You're following someone. The reason why you are where you are is because you are following somebody. This is, the, this is the key. Because their lives impact my life, the key of being good or bad influence on others is who am I following? Who am I following? That's the key. You say, prove it. I'll show you. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Be ye followers of me, even as, even as I also am of, of Christ. How was Paul influenced? Because he followed Christ. I'm following Christ, you follow Christ. Paul didn't want a following. All he wanted is people to follow Christ. Because if they would follow Christ, guess what will happen? They'll be influenced for good. You say, I don't follow Lucifer. By default, you follow Lucifer. Lucifer just uses means to get you to follow him or his, de or his divisive ways. He uses the internet. He uses, uh, you know, uh, a community. He uses music. He uses movies. He uses all sorts of things. And you want to say, no, I'm not influenced. I don't follow nobody. Yes, you are. Look what you're doing. Where'd you get it from? Who influenced you? Because you followed a certain trade or genre or something. You followed someone that got it from something else. And you'll be a fool here today to say, no one influences me. Really? Come on. We are all influenced. That's why people sit in front of the, 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 the screen and they listen and they see and people with no sense to, to, to cipher through bad and good are influenced for the bad. That's why people are corrupted and they act a certain way. People do what people see. You just, you just take out my kids for, you know, in the shopping centre for a moment and they look at all the different things and they hear things and they, they move a certain way and act a certain way because of the, just the little time that they went out to the shops because they were influenced because they followed something, they looked at something. And so, what does God want us to look at? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's who God wants us to look at. That's who God wants us to follow. And you can't say that you have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. You can't say that. But there are so many Christians that are doing that, aren't they? They say, oh, we know Jesus. We have fellowship with God. But they still walk in darkness. And listen, 
walking in darkness is not necessarily simply walking in a way that you're being drunk or taking drugs and all this. All these six characteristics, your communication, your conduct, your compassion, your consecration, all these things that we just went through. Are they there in your life as an example? We automatically think, well, I'm not a drunkard, I'm not a harlot, I'm not a murderer, I'm not... No, I, 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 sure, praise God. But are you living like Christ in these areas that we look? These six characteristics. These wonderful things that God wants us to be an example in. Because they resemble Christ in every form. They really do. If I were to go back and I would see that Christ, man, he kept his word and he preached the word. He was the living word. In conduct, you couldn't fault him. That's what he said to the Jews. In his compassion, look at the cross. In his control, oh yeah, he flipped the tables. How controlled was he? He was, he was wholly in, in, indignant. He, he, he fulfilled prophecy at that particular point. He hated what God hates. They were desecrating the, the, the house of his God, his father, if you will. Uh, he, his, his commitment, absolutely, all the way he endured the cross. That's why we're told to look at him, because he endured the cross. His purity, sinless. So are you saying that we ought to be sinless? We ought to strive to sin less and yes, we ought not to have any spot or blemish. And if we do sin, confess it straight away and ask God with all sincerity, help me with this. No, don't make excuses. We're not perfect like Christ is, but he is wanting you to be perfected and an example and an influence to your home, to the society, in your workplace. How many people will walk away out of these doors and this message will fall to the ground as if they never heard them and one little thing, just one little thing, causes them to go back and revert to being a bad influence and they don't care because they're stubborn. Pride. They hold on to the doctrines of faith. Good. But let them out. That's what, that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Live him out. He wanted them to live him out. There's no doubt about that. Remember what Paul told the Ephesians. Because we are a product of who, of who we follow. Have a look at, look at this. Ephesians 4 verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth from here on in walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind having the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that uh, you have heard of him, you've heard him and you've been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Don't walk like the Gentiles like this. Look, walk like Christ. You've been taught of Christ. You are a product of who you follow. You are. Who are you following? You become a product. You're following Christ. Guess what's going to happen? Uh, true? Okay, we'll just continue. Put off 
concerning the formal conversation of who? The old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that ye may put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You've been influenced by those that you are following. You're a product of those that you follow. Remember the Corinthians. Be not deceived, Paul tells them. We're in chapter uh, 15. He says, be not be de deceived. Chapter 11, remember what he says to them? Follow me as I follow Christ. Even as. He says, be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. He says, awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. And I speak to this to your shame. Part of the Corinthians' downfall was that they were gravitating the false apostles who distorted the word of God. This, this is why Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, even as. Why? Because they were following people that had corrupt doctrine. And in this case, they were denying the doctrine of the resurrection. And it, it corrupted them. And the doctrine made them live carelessly. Where the true doctrine that Paul teached made them live with eternity in view that one day there's going to be a resurrection and we're going to stand before God and every man will give an account for himself. You're a product of who you follow and who you uh, simply learn from. There's no doubt about that. You know why Paul had to say to Timothy, remember my gospel? Do you know why? Not because Paul owned it. It wasn't Paul's. It was the gospel of God. Not because there were several dispensation of the gospel being preached in different time periods no we believe there's only one gospel it was because there are some that were distorting the true gospel for the galatians there are some that were distorting the true gospel by adding works to their faith for their salvation and sanctification for the corinthians it was undermining the resurrection jude he tells us there are some people undermining the grace of God that's supposed to teach us to live holy. Amen. Uh, that's what he says. And the Lordship of Christ. That's why Paul says, my gospel. Why? Because it, it's a distinct gospel that he preached that belonged to God. It wasn't a false gospel. It was a true gospel. He says to Timothy in Chapter 2, verse 8, remember that the Lord Jesus of the seed of David was raised up from the dead according to my gospel. Because there were other people preaching another gospel, false teaching and error, and they were following them. Listen, and you're a product of it. You are a product. You'll be cursed by believing false doctrine. It'll impact your life. This is why I believe with all my heart, Paul closes chapter 4, by saying to Timothy in verse 16, take heed unto thyself and unto the what? And unto the what? Unto the doctrine. Take heed to yourself and to what you've been taught. Take heed. He says, and continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. What do you mean? And them that hear thee? Well, you're an influence. Who you teach and what you teach impacts and influences others. Every servant of the Lord must fervently examine two great areas in their life. Their self, our practice. Regarding these six things that we are supposed to be examples in. Second of all, our teaching what we believe. Take heed. Be careful. 
Godly character and divine teaching go hand in hand. You can't separate the two. Both the practice and what we believe will always influence others. Always. Now if I were to, in closing, mention some Bible names of those that have gone before us and say to you, were they good or bad examples, what will you say? Okay, let's begin with Adam. Good or bad example? Now, it could be that Adam come good later on, right? But we remember Adam as what being what? Disobedient. Is that true or not? Is that what sticks out? It does. Uh, Abel, good or bad example? Well, the Bible affirms it to be good, doesn't it? Hebrews makes it very clear. Uh, King Saul, good or bad? Cain, Joseph, King David. Good, but there's something that's creeping up in your mind. Just, just that little thing, isn't it? That little kink in his armor. Isn't is that right? Demas. Paul. Judas. Timothy. Lucifer. Jesus. The greatest example. You know why all these people were good examples? Because they looked to the greatest example. And they lived by faith and they looked to God. And God ordered them steps. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Very clear. Influenced. Carries them over by faith and obedience in God's word and, and trusting God. What about you? What will take place in your funeral? Uh, do you want people to be politically correct, to say something nice, because you're supposed to say something's nice when someone dies, isn't that right? But do you want them to be real about you? And, and, and say, sure, they did a lot of you know, mistakes and, and sin, but they grew and they were, they were humble like Peter was, and they, and, and they came good like David did. They were a good example in their humility. What would they say? Honestly, what do you, you want people to say about you when you die? Good or bad example? You can say good, but it's how you live out your life to the end of the road. With Solomon and all his knowledge and wisdom that came from God, you say, Solomon, what happened to you? What happened to you, mate? And at the end, he came good, all his vanity. I had, a, I had a taste of my fair share. It's, it's all, I'm telling you, it's a waste. You know what's good? Fear God and keep his commandments. That's good. Take my word. He admitted that he was a bad example. There's no doubt people have been bad examples at one particular time, but you need to say, that's it. How, what kind of example do you want to be in 2024 and onwards? I don't want to be a bad example in 2024 and onwards. What kind of example do you want to be? Uh, listen, what kind of follower do you want to be? Because who you follow will speak of what kind of example you want to be. Influenced to influence. Yep. Ephesians 
Be ye therefore. Therefore, followers of who? As dear children. You know why people have good godly marriages? Because they followed the word of God. Say, so I just want to, I want to follow the word of God so I can have a good godly marriage. You want your marriage to be like these people that don't know anything in Hollywood, that divorce, marry, divorce, marry, divorce, marry, new partner every time? The reason why people are, become what they become as a product is because who they have followed. And you see, the reason why they're, they're, they're where, where, they're, where they're at is because they followed him. And so if you would follow him and you would let God work in your life through his word and have these six areas built up in your life, then you'd be a good example. You'll be a good example. And you'll impact others for good. And what we're going to hear tonight is let your light so shine before men that they may glorify what? Your God which is in heaven. A city on a hill cannot be hid. Let your light so shine. What's Jesus saying? Hey, you're going to be an example to others for my glory. What kind of example do you want to be for your children? For those that are around you, those that are coming after you, what kind of example? Because you can be a bad example and your name will rot. But you can be a good example for God's glory. And that's the motivation. God's glory. And you know what? It all comes down to who do you want to glorify here on earth? You want to glorify yourself? You'll be a bad example. You don't care about others. Or you want to glorify God? And you want to live the way God has called you to live and created you to be? A good example for His glory. So again, in closing, what kind of example do you want to be? In 2024 and onwards, you can pout, you can go home, you can mess up one time and have a New Year's resolution and say, man, or you can break and come before the Lord and say, I am sorry, Lord, but I'm going to move forward by your grace. I want you to teach me humility. And he will. Because being a good example doesn't happen overnight. There's a life of brokenness. A life of brokenness. Listen. Was Peter a good example? Yes or no? Absolutely. How many times did he question the Lord? Even when God appeared to him in the book of Acts. God says, eat, not so, Lord. Man, the guy wouldn't stop but God knew his heart and when God showed it to him he'd break he traced his life and see what an example and he can pen down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit be clothed with humility God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble without God's grace you cannot be a good example may God keep us humble that we be Good examples to others and learn.
the ways of the Lord. Amen. That's why Jesus says, come unto me and learn from me, for I'm meek and lonely in heart. You'll find rest in your souls. Amen. Let's pray.